0: Amen. Thank you guys for your special this morning. Let's open up our Bibles and turn to Psalm chapter 23. Psalm 23. And it is a privilege to stand before you this morning and open God's Word and share what God has been teaching me and uh, using in my life over the past several weeks and months. And as Pastor Howard mentioned uh, several months ago, there in the hospital bed and kind of was able to reevaluate my life a little bit. And, uh, and I'm thankful for uh, you being here today. And uh, let's do continue to pray for Pastor as he's preaching right now in Phoenix. Thankfully, it's not as hot here, maybe a little bit cooler here. And uh, so um, I'm looking forward to this morning's message in Psalm chapter 23. And the men, they could go ahead and come forward and pass out the handout for this morning. And uh, not a, a huge handout, but just some points from this morning's message. Psalm 23 is probably, if we were to poll our audience of the congregation of what is one of the most familiar passages of Scripture, Psalm 23 would probably be up there as one of the most famous passages of Scripture, or one of the most well-loved passages of Scripture, and it's like that for various reasons. But this morning, I pray that we will be able to take a look at this Psalm with a fresh pair of glasses, like we've never read it before. Because this psalm is packed full of wonderful truths that you and I can incorporate into our lives this very week. Well, now you're comfortable, I'm going to ask you to stand. And we're going to open up God's word to Psalm chapter 23 or Psalm 23. And we're going to read the first four verses. Notice there with me in verse number one, the Bible says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they come for me. Would you join me as we pray? Father. Lord, you are our shepherd. Lord, we don't exactly know what a shepherd does because we don't have that role very much anymore in our culture. But Lord, I ask this morning as we read your word and we learn from your word that you'll help us to not just brush this off because we know this psalm probably without even reading the Bible. We know it by memory. But Lord, the truths that are in this psalm can help us this week and throughout our lives. So Father, I ask that you will come Lord, that you'll speak through me as your messenger to our hearts this morning, and you'll draw us closer to you, the Good Shepherd. Lord, I pray that you'll be honored and glorified through your word this morning. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You could be seated this morning. Psalm 23 is, like we said, one of the most familiar passages of Scripture. But many times, this passage of Scripture, this psalm, is isolated to moments of trial, the trials of our life. It's nice to pick this passage up and to read that God is with us, and we quote this passage during funerals and, and at times where we might need hope. However, this psalm is full of wonderful truths about the good shepherd. David wrote many of the psalms, and if we were to flip through it, in my Bible it says the psalm of David, and, and David wrote many of the psalms. And in each of these psalms, we see what his heart was feeling in those moments. At times, he was feeling despair and helpless, that God turned his back on him, and at other moments, he felt like the only place he could go was to go to God because he had no one else. For instance, just there in your Bible, if you were to look at Psalm 22, verse number 1, David says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? At this time, in this season of David's life, he felt like he had no one, including God. Have you ever felt like you've been in that situation before? No, everywhere you turn, it's a closed door, and you pray to God, and he's not there. David, too, felt this. But then, if you were to flip over to Psalm 28, verse number 1, the Bible says, Unto thee will I cry, O Lord, my rock. Because God is the rock. David was now in a season where he felt confident the Lord was listening to him. And, and one of the things that I love about David's writing is the imagery that he uses in all of these psalms. He was a poet. Now, I lack in that skill. I'm black and white, and he had that artistic, uh, that artistic nature to him. And here in Psalm 23, David uses two particular uh, examples of who God is. And in the first four verses which we read... David portrays God as the shepherd. In the last two verses, which we didn't read, verse 5 and 6, he portrays God as the host. But David was able to share these examples, especially as a shepherd, because he too was a shepherd. This morning, we are going to focus on the first four verses, and look how God is not just the shepherd, but he is the good shepherd. He is not just a shepherd in our life. He is the good shepherd. David begins verse number one by declaring, The Lord is my shepherd. David knew that the one who was leading his life was the only one who could effectively lead his life. David knew that the one who was leading his life was none other than the great I am. You see, David began this psalm in a powerful way. He understood the authority. And power the shepherd ultimately had. The power of the shepherd rested in the character and the deity of the shepherd. David wasn't just saying that there was a, a shepherd leading him. No, he was saying that God Almighty was the one who was leading him. So what are some of the qualities or some of the attributes of the shepherd? Well, in 1 Chronicles 16, verse 34, the Bible says, O oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy endureth forever. Psalm 28, verse 8, Good and upright is the Lord, and therefore will he teach sinners in the way. Psalm 145, verse 9 says, The Lord is good to all. Psalm 119, 68 says, Thou art good, and doest good. Ezra 3, verse 11 says, And they sang together by course in praising and giving thanks unto the Lord, because he is, what's the word? Good. <laughs> little bit of a common recurrence there in those verses one of the attributes of god almighty and the shepherd is that he is inherently good these verses show that one of the qualities that the shepherd has isn't that he is just good sometimes but that he is intrinsically good and everything he does is by nature good Because the shepherd is good, it shows that the actions of the good shepherd are rooted in his intrinsic goodness. So basically, everything that the good shepherd does flows from who he is. Since he is good, everything that he does is by default good. Now this is an important truth to understand. Because how many of us have gone through times and seasons of our life where when we were to look at the what was going on we'd say that wasn't good. And we say, "God, why as a good God would you allow this bad thing to happen in my life?" And it's because we as humans don't particularly see what God is doing behind the scenes. God is ultimately doing things in our lives to bring about his greater purpose and his goodness. So we may go through a season of perhaps loss or mourning, or a season of correction and discipline, and we need to remember that whatever we are going through is being allowed by God and being by, allowed by the Good Shepherd. There in your notes this morning, we're going to look at four actions of the Good Shepherd. And all of the actions of the Good Shepherd are rooted in His goodness. So David begins this passage by saying, the Lord is my shepherd. But then the rest of this message, we'll see four actions of the good shepherd. Notice with me there in verse number one, the good shepherd cares for his sheep. The good shepherd cares for his sheep. The Bible says, David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Now, I think we need to understand that David wasn't saying, I don't have any wants in life. But what he was effectively trying to communicate, that all of his needs were being taken care of. David recognized that God was his shepherd and therefore understood that God cared for him. And all of his needs were being cared for. Now David, a shepherd, understood that the lives of the sheep that he was tasked with looking after was dependent upon him doing a good job as a shepherd. David was given sheep and was given the responsibility and the authority to take care of those sheep. He was ultimately responsible for their livelihood and safety. You see, it was the shepherd's job to lead his flock to fields where they could graze and receive their nourishment. It was the shepherd's job to lead his flock to streams of water where they could receive their hydration. It was a shepherd's flock to, or there was a shepherd's job to fend off any animals that may look upon his flock with a desire to kill the sheep. It was a shepherd's job to maintain the unity of the flock and keep them moving in the same direction. And if one sheep were to go astray, his job was to bring it back into the fold. Now, all of these job descriptions a, a physical shepherd had—that's what he did. And David was saying that while the physical shepherd had to do these. The good shepherd also had to do these things. However, in order for the shepherd to ultimately do those things, he first had to leave his home. You see, David couldn't effectively be a good shepherd by sitting in his living room. No, David had to to grab his things, and he had to leave the comforts of his home, and he had to go out and do the job that he was tasked with. In 1998, the Arizona Cardinals football team drafted a player in the seventh round from Arizona State University. Boo, right? <laughs> this young man that was drafted, uh, he was drafted, and a lot of the people said He's, he doesn't have a chance. He's not even going to make practice squad. However, he was an incredibly hard worker and ultimately proved that he had what it took. In fact, the following season after he was drafted, he was named a starter for the team and he broke a record for the most tackles in a season. So he had the trajectory of being a great player, making a lot of money, having the comforts of living a lifestyle of a professional athlete. However, after the attacks that took place on September 11th, 2001, this man's focus and desire changed. He had the wealth, the freedoms, the luxuries of being a professional football player, yet he felt the call to leave all of that and join the military. In 2002, Pat Tillman joined the U.S. Army, and he ultimately completed several tours in Iraq and Afghanistan. However, one night in 2004, his unit was ambushed. And Pat's legacy is now, not that he was a football player, but now his legacy is that he gave his life to protect some of the other men in his unit. And he ultimately died due to the wounds he received during the ambush that night in April of 2004. You see, Pat Tillman could have stayed in the convenient and luxurious lifestyle that he had. However, when he he felt a call to something greater, he gave all of it up. Ultimately, he surrendered his life for the protection and safety of his country. But the sacrifice that he did required him to leave his home. John ten verse eleven, Jesus says, "I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep." Now, Jesus when or when David wrote this this psalm in Psalm twenty three, Jesus had not yet died on the cross, but David knew that the prophecy was that one day the good shepherd would give his life for the sheep. So while David was looking forward to the sacrifice today. Two thousand years ago we can look back to the sacrifice in john 10 verse 11 jesus says i am the good shepherd and i am going to give my life for my sheep jesus is the good shepherd because he gave his life for his sheep he left heaven to come to this earth and ultimately die on the cross and and sacrifice his body for you and for me and truthfully our only need is salvation our only eternal need is salvation and aren't you thankful that the good shepherd laid down his life for his sheep. You see, the good shepherd cares for his sheep, and the good shepherd sacrificed his body for his sheep. But notice, secondly, this morning, not only does the good shepherd care for his sheep, notice with me in verse number two, that the good shepherd calms his sheep. The good shepherd calms his sheep. Verse number two, David says, he The good shepherd maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Now, one of the shepherd's jobs is to make sure that the sheep are receiving nourishment they have. This requires finding pastures and and going to different fields for the flocks to graze, through as well as leading them to waters that are still enough that allow the sheep to drink from. David is now saying that the good shepherd makes him lie down in green pastures, and he leads him to still waters. Sheep need direction, and at times they're maybe not the smartest animals, and when the shepherd and the flock made their way through cities, it usually led to chaos. It wasn't a good idea for the the shepherd to leave his sheep uh, through the cities, because it usually led to stuff being laid on the roads, and people being upset, and it just wasn't a good scenario. So It was best for them to stay out in their fields. The good shepherd is looking ultimately after the overall well-being of the sheep, and he is instilling calmness in the sheep. Their needs are provided for, and they can dwell in this place, in the green pastures and by the still waters. You know, Charles Spurgeon said something, uh, said a quote, and it's, it's so true. Consider how precious a soul must be when both God and the devil... Are after it. Every day our lives are full of noise and distraction. Think about this morning. The alarm goes off. How many times do you hit the snooze? Never, right? We always get up right away, right? So the alarm goes off. The social media notifications begin. The desire to turn on the news, and then once you turn on the news, you listen to bad news. And the person that cuts you off on your way to church, the, the barista at your coffee shop gets your order wrong. You, you fight with your spouse on the way to church, and then you put a smile on your face when you're at church. And the kids mess up the outfits you had picked up, and it's only 11.23, and look at all what's happened this morning. Many times our lives are characterized by running from thing to thing and from, from trial to trial from distraction to... To distraction. It is so easy to go about our day and be accustomed to the noise and the distraction that our lives operate inside of. However, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14 For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. In 1942, C.S. Lewis penned the words in a book called The Screwtape Letters. And this book is, a, is an allegory, and it's talking about uh, the things that the devil must be talking to his demons and how they can coax and how they can distract Christians from doing what God has called them to do. I came across this this week as I was preparing and If you don't mind me, I'm going to read a little bit of it. And, and this is what perhaps the devil is telling his demons and how he could distract us as Christians. Indeed, he says, places of solitude and moments of silence grow ever more scarce in the enemy's vast and vulgar dominion. Oh, what euphoria to see his insufferable creatures constantly multitasking, rushing to fill the dead air with a cacophony of cell phones and music, leaf blowers and motorcycles, 24-hour news and iPods, not to mention car stereos cranked up full blast and serenading the cityscape with hellish sounds of hip-hop and heavy metal. Remember, our greatest ally is constant and pervasive stimulation. I trust you understand what is at stake. If allowed to contemplate the empty pursuits and mindless activities that fill their days, there is no telling what horrific changes they might make in their lives. As long as the volume is high and the lights are flashing, there is little danger of this. Keep in mind that silence, solitude, and reflection is a breeding ground for all manner of destructive outcomes. Rest gives them refreshed bodies and clear minds. Clarity draws them to that which we hate most, truth. In such moments, their vision grows strong and their purpose is rekindled. I warn you, for hell's sake, do not let this happen. Now, if necessary, You may even need to exploit some of the enemy's tools to achieve our ends. Use good causes to keep their schedules jam-packed. Remember, even good music and the occasional good TV show drown out silence just as the bad ones do. Remember, do not grow weary in creating noise, sowing confusion, and promoting random acts of selfishness. And this allegorical reading is saying, listen, hey, devils, do whatever you can. Demons, do whatever you can to keep the schedules busy. Do whatever you can to keep the distractions happening. Because we know that if there's not a moment where we can stop and enjoy the silence, that there's no time for Christians to commune with God. You see, the good shepherd understands that what is best for us as Christians is to make a, make us lie down in green pastures. It is to lead us by the still waters. And and many times we hate that. We hate the silence. We hate the solitude because I'm bored. What, what is there to do? When we pull out our phone and we start checking, it. it's in those moments of quiet and calm that we can truly reflect on who God is. When is the last time that you have intentionally Turned off the phone, turned off the news, went up Mount Lemmon or went somewhere in your home and just stopped. And just understood who God is. And just thought about who God is. And understood that He is the only one that could fill the needs that we so desperately have. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33 says, For God is not the author of confusion but of peace. Therefore, If your life is full of distractions and anxiousness and confusion, you must understand that you are being led by someone or something other than the Good Shepherd. If God is the author of peace and your life is in the midst of turmoil, then you need to take a step back and evaluate who you are following. The Good Shepherd provides peace and calmness if you allow yourself to be led by the Shepherd. This morning, we have seen how the good shepherd cares for his sheep. We've noticed how the good shepherd calms his sheep. Notice the third action this morning. There in verse number three. The good shepherd cares for his sheep and calms his sheep. But notice thirdly that the good shepherd corrects his sheep. The good shepherd corrects his sheep. There in verse number three, David says, He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. If you know anything about sheep, you probably know that they are prone to wander. They don't like to stay together. They they go off in their different directions, and they normally are in a herd, but it is a common occurrence for sheep to wander and to get outside of the fold, and it turns out they do this for a couple reasons. First of all, they do it because sheep are followers. So if you have one sheep going one direction, guess what? majority of sheep are going to follow them. I read uh, this week I was preparing there's been times where sheep one sheep walks off the edge of a cliff to his demise and the other sheep are like alright sounds good let's go and they follow him and they're just doing what they're supposed to be doing they're followers second reason is sheep uh, tend to graze for greener grass they live their lives grazing so green grass for them kind of looks like uh, a double double from in and out they just know it's going to hit the spot And so like, let's go to greener grass and let's get outside of the fold because we know that's going to hit the spot. So they get outside of that because they're looking for greener grass. However, one of the main reasons they wander away is because they either lose sight of the shepherd or they willfully decide to stop following the shepherd. It's not always just for bad pursuits. I mean, green grass, that's good. But many times the sheep stop following the shepherd because... They stay too far back from the shepherd, so they lose sight of him. Or they say, nope, I'm going to go this way because that's what I feel like. Sheep, although smart animals, need a shepherd to lead them. The shepherd is there to defend the sheep from harm, rescue them if they are in the midst of harm, and ultimately lead the flock to fields for nourishment. And in verse number three, David says, God, the good shepherd, restores my soul. David knew that he himself was prone to wonder from the good shepherd. David knew that, that, God, that he was confident that the good shepherd's purpose was always to restore him back into the fold. This morning, I think if we were honest, every one of us would say, we too are prone to wonder. We too are prone to try to find greener grass. We too are prone to maybe willfully turn our back on the good shepherd. In 1758, Robert Robinson wrote one of the most famous hymns, and he wrote the, the, the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. In one of the verses, he says, Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Man, when I sing that song, I'm like, that's me. Man, I don't know why, Lord, I, I'm just prone to wonder. I'm prone to leave you, and I don't understand it. God, I, I want to know, I, I, wanna, I don't want to do that. But Robinson, as a teenager, was sent to London by his mom to be an apprentice as a barber. And while he was there in London, it was said of him that he associated with a, no- a notorious gang of hoodlums and lived a debauched life. And while he was there in London, he began living a life that he knew he shouldn't live. Yet it was also while he was there in London that he was under the preaching of George Whitfield. And George Whitfield, if you know, he, he was a, a great man of God, and God used him greatly in London in many revivals, and Robinson was under his preaching. And due to the conviction he felt through the preaching, he surrendered his life and began serving God with the remainder of his life. And as he wrote this song in his 20s, he recognized his own heart ability to turn from the God he truly loved. Yet if it wasn't for the conviction through the word of God, his life may have never been changed. This morning you must understand that your heart too can wonder from the God that you truly love. Yet the shepherd in his goodness desires to restore your soul. He desires to bring you back into the safety of the fold. But how does God implement correction in our lives today? God doesn't speak audibly to us today. God doesn't write it in the stars. Sometimes we wish he did, right? Lord, what what is your will? What do you want us to do? So how does God bring correction Interestingly, throughout the New Testament, God references the role of the pastor as a shepherd. In fact, in in Acts 20, verse 28, Paul is addressing the pastors of the church, and he says, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. The pastor's role is very similar to that of the shepherd. The pastor should protect, guide, and direct his flock. And I'm very thankful that our church has had two great pastors, and it has a great pastor today who desires to protect and guide and direct our church. And may we not lose sight of the leadership and direction of the good shepherd as well as the under-shepherd who the Holy Ghost has appointed for this time. You see, the good shepherd desires to restore your soul and and to bring you back into the protection and the safety of the fold. So this morning, we've seen that the good shepherd cares for his sheep. The good shepherd calms his sheep, and the good shepherd corrects his sheep. But notice, lastly, this morning, this morning, verse number 4, the good shepherd comforts his sheep. Truthfully, we could have spent the entire message right here in verse number four, it's full of, verse, or, of thoughts that are so comforting. This is the primary reason that this passage is used during trials and in times of discouragement, because it's full of comforting words and truths. However, there are two specific phrases that I want to draw our attention to this morning. First of all, David says this, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. An important truth that I've heard Pastor Howard talk about at at the hospital side, that I've heard at funerals, is this important truth that when it says, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it means that that valley that you're going through is not the destination. It's just part of the journey on the way to the destination. You know, sometimes we get in our life and we have those moments where there's despair. When there's depression or there's anxiousness or we have loss of life and, and we think, Lord, this is it. Lord, thank you for giving me this many years of my life, but this is over because I can't continue on this. But if you're not dead, God's not done working in your life. The valley of the shadow of dead. Guess what? You're, you're not going to run through it. Because those moments of life are dark and they're heavy. But here's what David is saying. In the context of this passage, he's saying, I'm going to walk through these valleys with the rest of the flock. You know, it's so easy when we go through these valleys of our life that are dark, that are full of, of negative thoughts that the devil is putting in our minds, It is so easy for us to say no one in the flock understands what I'm going through. So therefore, I'm going to pull back. And if we know anything about the sheep and the shepherd, when a shepherd or when a sheep is isolated from the flock, what are they in danger to? They are in danger of attacks from the enemy. But when they're inside the fold and when they're in the flock, there's protection and there is safety. And that's why I'm so thankful that in Isaiah 40, verse 11, the Bible says that the good shepherd will bind up the weak sheep and hold him in his bosom. Because that's what the good shepherd does. But the second pa- or second uh, thought I want to pull from this verse is there it says, For thou art with me. David knew that he was going to go through trials in his life. He was going to go through dark times. However, he knew that the good shepherd would be there with him. If you don't get anything out of this message, I want you to listen closely to this next sentence. The good shepherd does not promise protection from the trials of life. Nowhere in the Bible does a good shepherd promise protection from the trials of life. But he does promise his presence in the midst of the trials of life. Right? All of our lives are are full of trials. And we say, God, why are you bringing me this trial? Nowhere in the Bible does God say, I'm not going to give you trials. But what he does say is, in the midst of your trials, I will be with you, and my presence will be with you. The Bible goes on to say there, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Now, if I were to be honest with you, I did have to do a little bit of research on this one. Because from my uh, American understanding of a shepherd, uh, this, it's not real, it's okay? This is our journey through Christmas prop, and uh, made out two by four. We're good. Um, so I, uh, a shepherd would use a rod and a staff in many different ways. I thought that this is usually like, hey, come on, keep going, keep going, right? Prodding along, and, and they, they get over in the briars, and they, they whack the backside of the sheep, and they use this as a discipline tool. So when it says here in Psalm chapter 23, Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me? What in the world does that mean? How can, I I know that a belt is not used for comforting. (laughs) That's used for discipline. Speak from experience. And uh, so so how does this comfort them? Well, it turns out that while a sheep and the flock is going to new pastures, many times they take routes that are sometimes precarious and sometimes dangerous in fact if you've been to israel and and may uh, we're going to go in next year i hope you sign up a little plug for that november of next year uh but but while we're in bethlehem we are looking out into the shepherd's fields and in the distance there's this mountain that goes up but you could see these little plateaus that line the, the 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 mountain And the shepherd would take those sheep along these little paths to get to the destination. But many times, the sheep, they've got good eyesight, so they would look down to the left side of them or down to the right side of them, and it's a sheer cliff, and they would freeze. The shepherd takes his staff, and he gently places it alongside the side of the sheep, saying, it's okay, I'm here with you. I'm alongside of you, and and I promise that this is good for you. I promise that we are going to a destination that's good for you. So, hey, I'm going to put my staff alongside of you because I'm here with you. So he does it in the midst of those, those journeys that they're going through, but also while they're just walking in the fields, many times a shepherd would just lay his staff on the back of the sheep. And the sheep would know that the shepherd is near to me. The shepherd is close to me, right? It's, it's like last last uh, year, we went d- over to the Grand Canyon, and uh, in the north rim, there's these sheer cliffs, and, and it's nice to look down the sheer cliffs, but to kind of keep one hand on the wall. Now, what's that one hand going to do? Nothing, right? You're going to fall gonna fall, but it provides that safety because you just know. So here in this verse, Psalm 23, verse 4, Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me, The staff of correction is also the staff that provides comfort. But the only way that he can provide that comfort is if we are close to the shepherd. One of the reasons that shepherd or sheep leave their shepherd and they wander off is because they willfully leave the leadership and the direction of the shepherd. This morning, as we close, I want to ask you this. Are you close to the Good Shepherd? Only you can answer that. James 4 talks about if we draw nigh to God, He will draw nigh to us. See, God hasn't moved. The Good Shepherd hasn't moved. The Good Shepherd is there waiting for you to come back into the fold. This morning, I pray that the Good Shepherd will be your shepherd in order. For him to work like this in your life, you have to give him permission and have a relationship with him. Four questions and I'm done. The good shepherd cares for his sheep. He has provided the way for salvation. Will you accept him? The good shepherd calms his sheep. Has the world distracted you and caused confusion? Only the good shepherd is the one who can bring peace to your life. The good shepherd corrects his sheep. Have you found yourself wandering from the shepherd? He loves you too much to leave you in harm's way, return to the fold. Lastly, the good shepherd comforts his sheep. What trial are you going through right now? Draw close to the shepherd and lean into the shepherd's staff. There you will find comfort and strength to continue. The good shepherd's actions are rooted in his intrinsic goodness. May we cherish the good shepherd. Let's praise